It's Wednesday, May 3rd, 2023. I'm Audrey Merkel, and welcome to the Merkel Treehouse. Horace Morris and the Merkel Treehouse Band. Bank failure bingo officially stamped the First Republic Bank Square this week. Has the banking crisis fully unwound now, or will we see the contagion spread further to regional banks? Morton Anger is in San Francisco to share his observations. Ladies and gentlemen, it's me, Morton Anger, and I'm standing here at Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco, looking out at the chaos that is Pier 39. As I look at these throngs of tourists, it's clear to me that they're all completely oblivious to the current banking crisis. It's as if they're living in their own little bubble, completely detached from the reality of the situation. They have no idea what's going on behind the scenes, no understanding of the mismanagement and greed that has brought us to this point. It's frustrating to see, but I suppose that's just how it is. The smell of the salty sea air mixed with the pungent odor of fish reminds me of the stench of corruption that permeates the banking industry. Just as the fish that are caught off the wharf are vulnerable to the whims of the ocean, The financial institutions that operate in the banking industry are at the mercy of market forces and government regulations. The sound of the sea lions barking and the seagulls squawking are like the constant chatter of financial analysts and pundits who are trying to make sense of the complex and ever-changing landscape of the banking industry. Just as the sea lions jostle for space on the crowded docks, the big banks are constantly vying for dominance and struggling to maintain their market share. Listen up, people. Another shoe has dropped in the banking industry. The news of First Republic Bank's failure is just the latest example of how the big banks are swallowing up regional banks with the assistance of the government and taxpayer money. And what's worse, the big banks are getting even more powerful, which means even less monetary freedom for us. The fact that J.P. Morgan gets to buy First Republic is a disgrace. And to make matters worse, the FDIC, which means the taxpayers, have to swallow $13 billion of losses to fund the deal. This is just another example of how the government is aiding and abetting these big banks. It's not just First Republic, either. Other mid-sized regional banks are facing similar concerns, thanks to the historic failure of Silicon Valley Bank. And what's the government doing to fix this? Nothing. Instead, they're handing out more and more taxpayer money to these big banks. Don't be fooled by the words of those in charge. The current banking crisis is far from over. In fact, it's just getting started. Can you believe that three out of the top four bank failures in the entire history of the United States happened in the last two months alone? This is a serious cause for alarm. But perhaps, like the fishermen who have turned to sustainable fishing practices in order to preserve the health of the ocean, the banking industry needs to rethink its practices in order to ensure the long-term health of the economy. Maybe it's time for a new approach one that embraces decentralized systems and technologies like Bitcoin, which can offer a more stable and secure financial future for all. So let's make a stand against these big banks and their government cronies. Let's embrace Bitcoin and show them that we won't be controlled by their greed and incompetence any longer. It's time to take back our financial future, and Bitcoin is the way to do it. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, and have a good day. Thank you, Morton. As we've said here before at the Treehouse, We have found ourselves in a real pickle here. The Fed meets today and is predicted to raise the rates another quarter point. While raising rates does strengthen the dollar in the long run, how many more regional bank failures are in store? 
The real question is, is this what the central bankers ultimately want? Is this a controlled demolition of regional banks worth hundreds of billions of dollars to empower the few U.S. behemoth banks that are worth trillions? We send you now to Eli's Corner, where Eli will dive a little deeper into the dangers of bank consolidation. Eli? Hi, I'm Eli. So imagine you are a little fish swimming around in a pond. You're doing your thing, swimming around, and all of a sudden a big fish comes along and eats you up. That's kind of what happens when big banks buy up smaller ones. The big banks are like the big fish, and the smaller banks are like the little fish. Now, when this happens a lot, it can become a problem because there are fewer little fish left in the pond. This means there is less competition between the big fish, and they can become very powerful and rule the pond like tyrants. When a bank becomes too powerful, it can be really bad for the economy, because if it fails, it can cause a lot of problems for everyone. Even your own piggy bank. It's like if all the big fish in the pond got so big that they became too big to fail. That means that if one of them got sick or died, it would be a big problem for all the other fish in the pond. So it's important that we keep an eye on how many big fish are eating up the little fish, and make sure there is enough competition in the pond to keep things balanced. When the taxpayer and big banks put lots of money in another bank, like when they gave First Republic Bank $30 billion, it can help that bank from going bankrupt for sure. But the big banks take ownership and become even more powerful, which can be a problem because it means there are fewer choices for people. Considering that taxpayers are giving big banks $13 billion to close this deal, it seems that the duplicitous political elite, the blood-sucking central bankers, and the parasitic cantillionaires want it to be this way. They demand our trust but then steal from us at every turn. They are all ghouls who do not care about any of the kids or their parents or their grandparents. Anyway, fewer choices means prices go up and make it harder for people to buy the things they need. If the government or the Federal Reserve keeps giving out money, it can make these problems even worse. It's important for people to know about bank consolidation and prices going up, so we can try to prevent them from happening. We want to make sure there are lots of choices for people, and that everyone can afford the things they need. Oh yeah, buy Bitcoin, it will make all your dreams come true. Okay, bye. Thank you, Eli. And now, ladies and gentlemen, off we go to Out on the Range for part four of Professor Pinto Pete's Bitcoin white paper series. Well, looky here, boys. Our internet amigos are back just in time for part four of my Bitcoin white paper lecture series. Now, hush up, boys. Hold on to your hat and tighten up your bootstraps, because we're fixing to dive into a real humdinger of a lesson today. So let's put aside all the harmonizing and get down to business, y'all. Today we're talking about how transactions get added to the Bitcoin time chain. Y'all remember we talked about how transactions get validated by nodes? Well, it's the miners who gather those validated transactions and put them into blocks on the time chain. And let me tell you, it ain't no easy task. But Pippa Pinto, there are so many Bitcoin miners. Do they take turns adding the next block to the time chain? No, Curly. You see, that's where proof of work comes in. It's like a grand puzzle game that happens about every 10 minutes. The miners start with the hash of the previous block, which is the result of the previous puzzle. The first miner to solve the new puzzle has the right to update the time chain with a new block of transactions. Then that new block gets broadcasted to the network and the nodes validate it, and a new puzzle game begins with the new block's hash, using it for the next block of transactions. This way created blocks are all linked together by a chain of hashes and today we call that the time chain. 
Solving puzzles seems like a real waste of time to me, Pinto. Well, Slowpoke, aside from solving the puzzles, Proof of Work is performing some mighty important tasks. Imagine you're a cowboy trying to protect your herd from rustlers. You need to make sure that every cow is accounted for and not stolen away by sneaky bandits. Similarly, the Bitcoin network needs to make sure that every block of transactions is legitimate and not bastardized by fraudulent actors. Proof of work is like a cowboy's lasso that captures the bad guys and keeps them from stealing your cows. In the case of Bitcoin, it captures fraudulent blocks and keeps them from corrupting the time chain. However, if the bad guys put in more work to solve the puzzles than the good guys, they could only reverse recent transactions they themselves had the private keys to. But I'm here to tell you, this is a very costly thing to do, and there ain't enough bad guys to go around to pull it off. The good Lord provides many more good guys than bad guys in this world. Anyways, once the bad guys find out they can make a heap more money expending their efforts on legitimate Bitcoin mining than trying to steal, you watch them switch their cowboy hat from black to white faster than a jackrabbit in a pepper patch. At the same time, proof-of-work mining is facilitating money being sent all over the world without any intermediaries. Isn't that neat? It's like killing two birds with one stone. So, y'all see, proof-of-work is the backbone of the Bitcoin network. And without it, we wouldn't have the decentralized system we know and love today. And that's all old Pinto's got for part four. Join us next time when we review much of what we learnt already by looking at the Bitcoin network as a whole. Thank you kindly for listening. Thank you, Pinto. Ladies and gentlemen, don't miss part five of the Bitcoin White Paper Lecture Series on Sunday. To wrap up today's show, let's lighten things up a bit with a new stand-up routine by Sammy Nash. Direct from the Jester's Junction in Enid, Oklahoma, here's Sammy. So, have you heard the one about J.P. Morgan Chase buying troubled First Republic Bank after the U.S. government takeover? Regulators took control of First Republic Bank and sold a substantial chunk of its assets to J.P. Morgan Chase, marking the third major bank failure in the U.S. in less than two months. And you know what they say, third time's a charm, right? <laughs> Did you hear the latest news from the Treasury Secretary? Apparently the U.S. government might run out of money by June 1st. But hey, we shouldn't worry, right? I mean, it's not like the U.S. government owes trillions of dollars in debt or anything. Oh, wait, they do, but don't worry, they'll just print more money. It's worked out well for other countries, right? Like Zimbabwe or Venezuela. And you know who's feeling pretty smug right now? Bitcoiners. We've been saying for years that the government can't be trusted with the money supply. And to think, all this time we were the crazy ones for investing in internet money. Now who's laughing all the way to the decentralized bank? Anyway, folks, it looks like J.P. Morgan Chase is taking over the banking world, one failed bank at a time. But don't worry, your deposits are safe. Just remember, the system is very, very sound. That's what Jamie Dimon said. And if you can't trust a guy who's taken over three major banks in less than two months, then who can you trust? Thank you and good night. Thank you, Sammy. Once again, a very funny and timely set. And that does it for episode 20 of the Merkle Treehouse, folks. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you on Sunday for the best in Bitcoin mindshare. I'm Audrey Merkle reminding you to keep your money hard, your heart soft, and have a little fun sometimes. Wrap this one up in a pretty pink bow, fellas. Hey, this is Vinny the Sales Guy. 
Please tell all your friends about the Merkel Treehouse. I'm begging you over here. Myself, wife, and all my many beautiful children, thank you from the bottom of our hearts, my friends. 